0: Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Amen. Go and be seated. Well, good morning. morning. Sorry for the technical difficulties. Thanks for hanging with us. Uh, Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this time we have to be together. We thank you for calling us into community. And we thank you for, as a community, calling us together around your word. We pray that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us this morning. And We pray that you would help each one of us have the courage to hear what it is that you say to us. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So born blind, he's never seen a sunset. He's never seen how the purple fades into pink that melts into orange that sinks into that deep dark red he's never seen his parents he's never seen the look of love that is in his father's eyes he, he's never seen the look of tenderness that comes across his mother's face every time she turns towards him. He's never seen anything. He's trapped in the dark. And and no matter how hard his parents try, no matter what they say or do, there's really nothing that they can do to know exactly what he feels like. And what that means is that every single day, there's at least one moment when he feels the truth That not only is he trapped in the dark, but he's alone in that darkness. There are times that he can hear it in their voices. His parents, as much as they care for him, as much as they want to help him. There's this part of them that that thinks it's somehow their fault. That he's broken. That, That maybe there was something else they could do. That would have guaranteed that he was born healthy and whole. And he, and he hears that regret in their voices. He, he, can, he can sense it. And, and there are many times that, that the honest truth is he feels more like a pity than a, than a person. Whenever someone leads him into a, a group of people you know if they're visiting and there's some laughter and there's energy in that group well immediately everything goes silent everything goes quiet and and he always can can sense that that everybody looking at him that they're experiencing some some relief and guilt at the same time relief as they look at him that they're not having to go through his daily experience and then immediately those same people are are feeling this guilt this this shame forever Having thought something that's selfish. He's tired of it. He's so tired of feeling alone in the dark. But he has no hope of anything ever changing. He doesn't have any hope of things getting better. And the question that, that he can't stop asking. Is what did I ever do to deserve this. One day he's sitting outside. The, the wind is moving across his face. And he hears a, a group of people walking not that far away from him. And they, they're talking amongst themselves. And they're using quiet tones. But he can hear them really clearly. And suddenly one of them says, You see that, you see that guy over there? You see the the blind man? What what do you think caused that? I mean, did he do something sinful? Did his parents do something sinful? I mean, someone must have done something terrible for God to punish him in this severe way. What what do you think happened? And you have to believe that in that moment this blind man must have must have just experienced this sad frustration that he's been through time and again because in his world whenever people came across someone who was was damaged or broken or at least that's how they saw someone like him they immediately started to try to figure it out they, they wanted to know because they had this conviction that anybody who was going through something that was difficult well. It somehow had to be because they deserved it. Or maybe they didn't deserve it, but somebody else in their life who cared about them. Maybe it was their fault. And so he had heard some form of this question within earshot time and again. And why? why? Why did people feel this need in looking at him to try to, to try to figure it out, to try to get some kind of answer of, of what went wrong? And it was obvious to him that they felt like if, if they could figure out what had gone wrong, if they could figure out what he did or what his parents did or somebody else did, then maybe they could avoid it and then they wouldn't have to deal with the kind of challenge that he faced every single day. Maybe they, if they figured it out, they wouldn't ever have to be trapped alone in the dark And suddenly, his thoughts are interrupted by the sound of another voice. And it's a voice he's never actually heard before. But, But if I had to guess, I would say that he hears something in that voice that he recognizes. That there's some part of him that thinks he's heard that voice before. And there's some frustration, some disappointment in that voice as it starts to speak. Would you stop asking these kinds of questions, the voice says? These kinds of questions, they don't actually lead you any closer to the truth. It's not anybody's fault that this man was born blind. It's it's not his fault. It's not his parents' fault. It's not God trying to, to punish him or them or anybody else for what for what happened or or some decision or some mistake that, that might have taken place. No, this man is blind. But I want to use his blindness to show you that God is present and God is at work and God is more powerful than any darkness that's ever happened to anyone. This, this man is blind because we live in a dark world, because dark things happen. But he's not going to stay that way. I'm the light of the world, the voice says. And you're all with me. And, And God is calling us to find whatever way we can to bring light into people's lives. So when you see somebody in this kind of situation, when you see somebody who's suffering, Maybe next time, don't ask theoretical, theological questions about why they're suffering and do whatever you can to help ease their suffering. Do whatever you can to help bring light into their darkness. Now, the blind man has never heard anybody talk like that before. I mean, he's heard these kinds of questions more time than he can keep track of. He's never heard anybody interrupt those questions this way. And, and what is it all supposed to mean? I mean, he's, he's hearing this stranger say something about using his blindness as a, a place, as a moment, as an opportunity to show other people the power and the presence of God, That the power and the presence of God, the ability of God to take away the darkness that he's experiencing, the darkness that everybody is experiencing. What, what, what is he talking about? I mean, is this... Stranger, is he about to, to somehow heal his blindness? I mean, that, that's the only thing that can make sense. And yet, at the same level, it's the last thing that makes any sense. And then he hears that stranger walk towards him, away from the, the other people that, that have gathered around and get closer. And then he hears the man spit on the ground. And then he hears him start to rub the, the wet dirt until he's made some clay, and then without saying a word, this man reaches up and, and starts to, to rub that clay over his eyes. And then that voice that he's never heard before, but there's a part of him that thinks he's heard it somewhere, says to him, go and, and wash this off. Go and cleanse yourself in the, in the pool that's called scent. The man knows roughly where that pool is but he can't see a thing and yet there's something in that stranger's voice that tells him he's got to find a way there and so and so he does and what happens next he will never forget for the rest of his life because he gets to that pool and he he takes his hands and And he puts them out and and into the cool water. And he cups his hands together. And then you have to believe he says a a, a quiet prayer in his heart, right? Just please. Please. Help this this hope in his heart that that he's too afraid to really believe could actually come come true. Please. And he he lifts his hands up out of the water and he starts to, to rub his, his eyelids, and as he does, they gradually start to open, and he almost falls over from just the sheer brilliance of the brightness that's all around him. I mean, it, it's so bright, it has to hurt, and, and he keeps cleansing his eyes. He keeps washing his face until he's wiped away every speck of dirt, and for the first time in his entire life he can see he can see it doesn't make any sense but it's true and so he starts to walk towards his home he he starts to, to walk back towards the people in his life who've, who've been there for him. The people who would have given anything to heal him. To, to help call him out of the darkness into the light. All these people who, regardless of how much they've loved him, they didn't know how to help heal his brokenness. And yet here he is. His vision, perfect and whole. He's looking around. You have to think he's just he can't, he can't stop looking around this miracle of being able to see all the faces where he's only heard voices before and and he can see houses and and trees and the sky in his own hands. He's unbroken and he's not alone in the dark anymore. He can see for the first time in his life, he can see And, and all the people around him They don't know what to do with it. They they don't know what to make of it. And you have to think that his thought, the key question that he'd been asking his entire life, which is, what did I ever do to deserve this? He's asking it in a brand new way. Because what did he ever do to deserve this miracle? And the people who are looking at him, they they don't know what they don't know how to respond to it. I mean, this is they know who he is. He's the blind guy. Right? He's the one they always feel sorry for. He's the one they always have pity on. He's the one they always worry about. He, he's the one they always whisper about. And now here he is. And he looks like that guy. But but here he is, filled with happiness and hope. Here he is. Meeting their glances and their stares with his brand new perfect eyes. And he looks like that guy, but he's not the same person. He's he's someone new, he's someone else. And, And they don't know what to do with it. And you can imagine how quickly news about this spreads. I mean, everybody's talking about it. And eventually, a group of religious leaders, the Pharisees, they they hear about it. And as we've been talking about throughout this series on the Gospel of John, the Pharisees are just really, they're just struggling with what to do with Jesus. The one thing they're convinced of is he's dangerous. He has dangerous ideas. He's, He's pulling together all these people from the wrong kinds of backgrounds, The the people they have been trying to lead for for years as religious leaders are now listening to Jesus. So they're they're losing their their flock and they're they're they don't know what to do. They've just got to stop him. And they've all already tried a bunch of different things, but here's another new opportunity. Because Jesus doesn't just heal this guy and have all these people talking about it. He makes one strategic error as far as the Pharisees are concerned. He ends up performing this miracle, restoring this man's vision, restoring this man's life. He does it on the Sabbath. Which technically means that the way he healed him with, you know, spitting in the dirt and making some clay and then applying that to the man's face, they could technically say that was work on the Sabbath, the day you weren't supposed to be doing any kind of work for any reason. So they've got him where they want him. And and they're going to drag him into a trial. You know, they've tried this before, they're going to try it again. And this time, what they're hoping is, they're either going to be able to accuse him of the crime of careless compassion that's against the law. Or, on the other hand, they figure they they might reveal him to be some kind of messianic con man who's pulled one over on everybody else. Because it seems like this is some kind of elaborate hoax. That this is some kind of a public stunt that Jesus has pulled to maybe attract even more followers. Right? Maybe it's not the man who was born blind. Maybe it's a guy who looks just like him, and somehow Jesus found someone who looked like him and, and brought him into town, and, and he's tricked everybody. Maybe that's what's going on. And this is how desperate they're getting. You know, when you grow up in a really small town, you know who people are. Everybody knows who he is, or at least they, they know who he was. He was the man who was born blind until he meets Jesus, and then everything changes. The Pharisees are having none of that. They, they want to they have this trial anyway. So they, they haul him in to question him. Are you the man? Are you just pretending to be the man? Or were you pretending to be blind all those years just to trick us now? They get frustrated with that. And then they think, well, you know, his parents at least would maybe tell us the truth even if he's not telling us the truth. So they haul his parents in, the people who have loved him and cared for him and, and would have done anything for him to get to experience this, this healing. And they, they ask them a bunch of questions. And in this intense back and forth, they get to the place where they go, okay, fine. He really did heal this guy. This is the man who was born blind. But now, if if it's not a hoax, if it's not a trick, we need to figure out how we're going to catch Jesus in the technicality somehow. So let's get him back in here and figure out if if he'll slip up, this this man who had been born blind. That's where we're going to pick up the story together this morning. So if you've got a Bible, turn to John chapter 9. We'll start reading together in verse 24. A second time. They summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God and tell the truth, they said. We know this man, Jesus. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him. I love how they just keep going like that's normal. What what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now, see what they're really asking is, did he work on the Sabbath? Which is a weird question to be focused on. Like the, the technicalities of the miracle itself. How did he do it? And he answered, I've already told you and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? My favorite question in almost the Bible Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) Is that why you're listening so carefully? Like, because if you need me to tell the story, I'll tell it again. Then they hurled insults at him because they actually don't want to become his disciples too, right? You are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses, we know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. I'm pretty sure they do. But they can't admit it. The man answered, "Now that that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes." And we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And he doesn't say it, but he should end that sentence with, and you know it. Right? You know it. This man is not an expert in anything other than his own experience. I mean, what, what he claims to know theologically is simply what Jesus has caused to happen in his life. And if you want to summarize his entire testimony, it's, it's, look, all I know is I was blind, but now I see. Which does seem to me to be the most salient point. Right? I know who I was. I know what had happened to me. I know what I struggled with. I know that for years I was alone in the dark. And now I'm standing here with perfect vision in front of a group of people who can't see anything that's true. I can't speak for anyone else this morning, but this phrase, all I know is I was blind, but now I see. Those words could be my words. That that simple testimony could be my testimony, right? This man's story of transformation reminds me of my own life story and all the, the times and the ways that God has used Christ in my life to help me see to, to transform various parts of who I am. I mean, growing up, I lived underneath the constant shadow of shame because somewhere along the way when I was really young I somehow picked up at church from someone somewhere that God demanded that I be perfect and I knew I couldn't be perfect. I wasn't even good enough to pretend to be perfect and I lived with a constant sense of the fact that I was never going to be who God wanted me to be. But now, right, but now, I've had enough experiences with other Christian people, and they, they have helped me through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of their example. They have helped me understand that God is not demanding that I be perfect. God's, God's just calling me to be faithful. And I can't be perfect, but I can be faithful. And I can see that now. And and I have Jesus to thank for that. When when I first got into full-time ministry, there was a part of me that more than anything else just simply wanted to impress people with what I was able to do. I wanted to impress people honestly more than I really wanted to connect with them. But now, as an old man at 42, God has helped me understand in a hundred different ways that ministry is not about me impressing you with me. It's about me impressing you with Christ and the difference that only he can make in our lives. When Lauren and I first got married, you know, before we had kids, I, I did everything I could possibly do at church. I, I said, no, no. Almost never. I mean, I, I just kept taking on more and more things and trying to accomplish more and more things because I felt like people were expecting it of me. And I got to the place where I wasn't home nearly enough. And when I was at home, I wasn't really there. I was too distracted and worried about all the things that I knew I wasn't actually able to get done while I was home. But now... Now that it's not just me and Lauren, and now that we have a family, and now that I realize I wasn't being fair to Lauren back then, I I realize that when I'm at home, I need to actually be there. And so I try my hardest. I'm not perfect at it, right? But I try my hardest to get off that endless treadmill of to-do lists that I have all the time going on in my heart, and I try to actually be with my family when I'm at home. I try to be there for them. Because I understand who God is calling me to be there and not just here. Right? I couldn't see that before, but I can see it now. And I have Jesus to thank for that. And before COVID-19, I would have obsessed about the stupid computer going down for the next five days. Right? It would have ruined my week which would have ruined my week at home, which would have ruined my week at work, which would have ruined everybody else's weeks at home and at work. (laughs) Right? I, I was constantly fixated on every single thing that wasn't just right and and how we were gonna improve things and how we were gonna make things better and just just focused on all the negatives. And, And I gotta tell you, and I think I've told you this before, that's a struggle I've had my entire life. You show me a picture, I see what's wrong with it and I try to fix it. And there's never any shortage of new things to find that you decide could be just a little bit better. But now... I mean, if that's the worst thing that happens today, you need to get a life, right? I mean, I need to get a life if that's what I'm going to focus on. I, I have come to realize so much in, in, in a way that I couldn't see before that church isn't about us finding the, the flashiest and the newest ministry programs that that we can run or, or figuring out how to make sure that every single person in this church gets the exact religious experience they want or... Or getting to the place where every single thing we do always goes smoothly without a hitch. Church is about Jesus and the relationships that he makes possible in this place, in this community. Church is about Christ and the way he connects us in this this soul deep way that cannot be denied. That's what church is about. And I can see it now when I couldn't, I couldn't see it before. And I have Jesus to thank for that. Now, you'll notice, hopefully either on your seat or a seat close to you, that there's this little simple card that's there. I don't know that you could make a more simple card, right, and, and even call it a handout. And, and for those of you who are watching us at home, we're going to be sending an email out after worship is over and you can download this card and you can print it, or you can take a pen out and just write on a piece of paper, I once was, but now I. Okay, we want everyone to to be a part of this. Now, I know it's kind of silly to make a card that's this simple, but I want to make sure that we take away any steps, any reasons that might get in the way of us doing what I'm about to ask you to do. And, and that is the first thing I want you to, to do in this coming week is actually fill this out, right? Finish these statements. I once was, but now I. Now, now the guy says, I once was blind, but now I see. And there's probably a bunch of different ways that you and I could say the same thing, but we'd have to use slightly different words, right? Like I once was judgmental, but now I try to be patient with people. I try to un- understand people who are different from me. Or I, I once was moving through this world alone, trying to kind of take care of myself and not relying on anybody, but now I understand that I need a group of people that I can belong to, a group of people I can depend on. Or you might say, I I once was letting my addiction to you fill in the blank, right? I was letting that addiction dominate my life, but now I'm recovering and I feel this freedom that I haven't felt before, and I'm two years down that road. Or or some of us might say, I once was obsessed with my career and and accomplishing everything I I could at work, but now I understand that there has to be limits, that there are real limits to how much work can matter in my life. Or, or maybe you'd say, you know, I once was filled with regret. But now I'm focusing on who I want to be in the future more than I'm focusing on who I've been in the past and the mistakes I've made. I don't know exactly what language you would use to make this story your story and to be authentic. But I, I really want you to understand this morning that whether we realize it or not, we all have a story to tell. We all have a story to tell. Things about us that we've moved on from. Things about our past that are no longer true in our present. Things God has healed us of or delivered us from. We are not the same people that that we were. All of us have some aspects of our lives that have been transformed, that have been changed. And my encouragement to you in the next seven days is for you to... To find a way to get a sense of how that's true for you. What is the story of God at work in your life that that you could tell? And then I'm going to ask you to move beyond just that mental exercise. I want you to choose someone to share that story with. Now, lucky you, you don't have a group of frustrated Pharisees who are trying to poke holes in your story. Right? But the man doesn't just experience the miracle. He takes the opportunity. He doesn't just give them the basic answer to what they're asking. He wants them to understand the, the, the miracle of healing and transformation that's really taking place in his life. Now, I don't know who you're going to choose. And I know, I know when preachers do this, I decide it's some socially awkward spiritual challenge that I'm just not going to do. Please don't make that decision. At least wait until after lunch to make that decision. Don't make that decision now. We all have a story to tell, and we all have someone God wants us to share it with. I don't know who that is in your life. It could be your spouse. It could be your child. It could be your best friend. It could be someone you work with. I don't know. It could be anybody. And I don't know if it's going to be in person or it's going to be on the phone or if it's going to be on Zoom or whatever. Find a way to tell somebody this gospel truth. I'm not who I, I've always been, and you don't have to stay who you've always been. Now, it's one thing to just say that in a couple of sentences. It's something else entirely when you're able to use your own life story to say, and let me tell you exactly how Christ has opened my eyes and has helped me become somebody who's, who's new. That God has helped me become somebody else. And that it's not just something I decided to do on my own. It's not just because I I rolled up my sleeves and I figured out how to fix myself. It's because Jesus came into my life and spoke words of healing and grace. And I want you to know that if it's true for me, it can be true for you. It drives me crazy when I hear Christian people say, well, that person's that way and they're always going to be that way and they're too old to change. What is that? What is that cynicism that we let creep in because transformation is always a miracle and we're afraid to to depend on the fact that we believe in a God of miracles who isn't done with us yet. We have to come back to that conviction time and again, brothers and sisters. We believe in a God of miracles of transformation who isn't done transforming us yet. And if it's true for us, it's true for everyone. And I just, this week... Push past the the excuses that might come up or the, the reasons that might come up. Find a way to recapture your sense of I once was, you fill in the blank. But now, but now. And listen to the Holy Spirit and tell the person you're meant to tell. Share it with the person that God is calling you to share that story with. Because I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, something holy and miraculous happens when we share our stories with one another of what God and God alone can do. Something holy and miraculous takes place. And I am... I can't predict exactly how God is going to use your story in someone else's life, but I can promise you God is going to faithfully use your story to bless and change someone else's life. Because when you tell the story of what Jesus has done for you to somebody, you're sharing Jesus with them. You're not just sharing that story with them, you're sharing Christ with them. And something is going to take place in their heart, something straight from the heart of God. Because as Josh reminded us this morning, we have this heavenly father who is constantly calling us out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And we get to be a part of that. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And you guys are sitting around looking at this guy who's struggling and suffering and you want to have some theological debate about it. I am the light of the world. You're my followers. You're supposed to join me in that light. You're supposed to be sources of light. When you see people who are are in moments of difficulty and disappointment and sorrow and pain. Don't analyze their pain. Shine a light in that darkness. We're the light of the world, brothers and sisters. We're the light of the world. And people ought to know it. People ought to experience it because what God has done in our lives through Jesus Christ, it is too good for us to just keep to ourselves. We're going to sing together now. And as we do, I just I just pray that we take seriously the fact that in one way or another, right, we could all say together, I once was blind but now I see. Share that with someone. In the next seven days, share the story of Jesus with someone. I promise you, it'll change things. Would you stand together and let's sing now. Amazing grace